I'm Megan Lawrence, and welcome to the Wild Leaders Podcast. Wild stands for Whole and Intentional Leader Development, and in this episode, you'll be listening to one of our Wild Conversations. Wild Conversations are interactive virtual experiences every Friday for one hour with leaders from around the country. It's no cost to join or attend, and you can sign up by visiting wildleaders.org backslash wildconversation. You can also listen on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us and subscribe. Wild Conversations are led by our founder and CEO, Dr. Rob McKenna. Named one of the top 30 IO psychologists alive today, Dr. McKenna is passionate about developing leaders and transforming the way we see people in our organizations. As he will tell you, we have the tools at our fingertips to invest in our people in ways that are meaningful to them and will get the results we need. 30 years of research has taught us how much people learn and grow on the job. We have what it takes to create rich learning environments for the people we lead, and all we have to do is begin to act on what we know. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. Developing successors. Here we go. You, uh, you do this work in leader development long enough, and you get a chance to see the importance of this across all kinds of contexts. Um, it is something that, that is so, so critical. One of the large corporations I used to work with, they had a green room where you would walk in and they actually had all these pictures up on the walls with the, all this information about each of these leaders who was be, being prepared to move into this next, uh, next area of the organization. So we know it's important, but I, I want to think, first of all, why are we interested in this? I, you know, if I could have been a fly on the wall for all of your conversations you just had, is why is this relevant to you today? Um, and I think it's, it's interesting, right, is that we care about who is going to lead after us. But the next question is why? Because I was in a conversation once where I was, uh, it's an organization that all of you know, um, and I was in with their vice president of talent, and I was brought in because they wanted me to come in and help with their succession planning system. And I asked them, why do you want one? Which I don't think they had been asked before because of the answer, because the, the VP of talent said our CEO saw it on the cover of Inc. Magazine and thinks we need one. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good enough answer. Like, why do we, why do we care about this? Why do we want one? So a couple of things uh, to think about, like these are the organizations that we built. These are the organizations whose missions we care about. These are the the groups of people, the teams we built. These, this is the game changer nonprofit that we saw. Um, I certainly went through this because last January I left a program that I had, I had launched, been a key part of launching. Uh, there was a piece of paper I wrote in 2003 that ended up being a program affecting lots and lots of people. And so it was, it was an interesting transition for me. One thing I want to point out, developing successors is not cloning. It's not cloning. It's something different than that. Um, it's also not a moment. So let me define, define what we're talking about. For our purposes, succession planning or developing successors is defined as a process of developing the next generation of leaders to lead when our current generation of leaders is no longer relevant or around. Interesting. That means that uh, short of an enduring memory of our legacy, we are preparing people to lead when the leaders we have in place today no longer matter. That's a bit overstated, but I'll say why in a second. The memory of what they did and the inspirations and directions they provided will live on, 
but they will not, likely not be around to see what the next generation will do. Uh, and I would say this, what we do matters, but it may not be what we're remembered for. It's not our, it's, it's, we may fade quickly. As, as my dad would say, you're quickly forgotten. He tells a story, he was a university president. He tells the story of driving back on to the campus where one year prior he'd been, been the president and he had his parking spot and he got back on campus and security had no idea who he was <laughs> and they wouldn't let him park. So it was like, he's like, it, you, get, you get forgotten pretty quick. You know, and he would say, that's probably a good thing. The gift of what it gives us though, is that it, give, it causes us to think beyond today. It gives us this longer term gift and because it is also so deeply personal. Um, and it's connected to other things. It's interesting. When we think about preparing someone to lead next, it's connected to so many other things. Um, I think about, for example, one thing that's talked about often is the leadership bench in some organizations. Like, do we have a bench of people who are prepared to lead after us? And, uh, and I think of myself in high school because I sat the bench in basketball. And there was another name for the people on the bench. Scrubs. <laughs> so, and I was a scrub. I don't even know where that comes from. Someone look it up. But I was a scrub. And what's interesting about that, I wasn't, I wasn't being in, I know this. <laughs> I, I, I got to figure this. My coaches weren't investing me in, in me in practice as if I might play. Like, think about it. They, I don't even, I think I was there as a practice dummy. It was, it was quite literally someone for the, the players who were going to play to play against. And it's, you don't see this until, until a whole team of injuries happens, and then it's like all the scrubs become the main team. You know, so it's an interesting thing. But it bumps into other kinds of processes that are important to us very quickly. This is where it's hard to differentiate success, uh, succession planning and thinking about that from other things. One of the things that comes up every time is selection. It, it always draws back to whether or not we selected people who were going to be developmentally ready to be prepared to lead next, which Daniel's going to talk about more in just a second. But it's so critical. Like we, we think about it, like selection. So the longer term play is let's start being thoughtful about whether we're getting people into the on the bus who actually want to learn because developing successors is developing successors. It means we're gonna, they're going to change. The other thing that comes up is very quickly is this, is that uh, development, like developing successors implies developing successors. It means actually making an intentional investment in developing people, which again, Dr. Halleck's going to touch on and, give, and bring this to the ground so we can think about this. Like, how do we do that? What does this have to do with that? Like, we have to, to begin to think about how do we begin to make that kind of investment? The last thing I want to, the other thing I want to say is that also one thing that comes up so often for many of us is, is the necessity for thinking about sacrifice, thinking about sacrifice. And this is why when I actually looked back on places where I've written about succession planning, one of the articles that we wrote that we will give you links to is this concept of sacrificial leadership. And so like, what is, what does sacrificial leadership have to do with successors? And it's interesting. So I recently had a conversation with a CEO from a nonprofit that most of you are aware of who told me this. He said, I'm, I'm on the board of that nonprofit. It's a very well-known CEO on the board of the nonprofit. And he said, uh, the new CEO is struggling. And I said, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, hmm, 
This is what I asked him. And this is my first meeting with him. This is the first time I sat down with him and I or, uh, sat down in a Zoom. And I, and I said to him, I said, why are you still on the board? Imagine a famous CEO who leaves the job, stays on the board. Does this sound familiar? Stays on the board, still around with all that legacy in their wake, and now you're supposed to be the CEO. And I wasn't trying to be, you know, like push this conversation around, but it's an interesting question. And one of the things that my dad sort of implanted and embedded in me is he always said, when you go, Rob, you got to go. You've got to let someone else lead. So I just want to, to, to read one final thought before Daniel jumps in with some, some, some great thinking. Like, let's bring this to the ground. Like, so what do we do? What do we do? Because it's a big concept. But I think if this, the, I'll read you this. The reality is that many of our current systems are not truly succession planning systems, but would be more accurately described as legacy planning systems. In other words, we often create systems focused on making sure other people lead the same way we lead, as if we will matter in the future. Practical examples of this are in abundance. Organizations are full of leaders who, after they retire or move on to a different group, continue to try to get their agenda done. In some cases, they are dragged back in by shareholders, board members, or former employees who are dissatisfied with their new leader. Man, let that new leader lead, right? Let them fail a little bit. I don't know. This is a whole conversation you guys are going to bust loose. Nevertheless, the challenge of, to develop succession planning systems built on sacrificial leadership as their foundation is significant. Building this type of a system requires tremendous courage and sacrifice on the part of incumbent leaders and a willingness to develop leaders apart from our selfish tendencies to build legacy instead of preparing individuals to lead after we're gone. I just want to just one last thing. I think about this related to our kids. I think about this related to our kids. And I, it's, it's just interesting for me to think about this. If we thought about this, this idea of developing set successors and like what, and, and truly Daniel's gonna, gonna launch into, so how do we do this? I'm just laying out some of the big issues I've seen people facing. When we think about our children, we aren't trying to produce us. Some of us maybe. We're not trying to make, we're not trying to clone us. I think our best hope is that they would take forward the best of us and do the rest their own way. And this is, and I want to, this is a tension we all have to face because I dealt with generations of large, large corporate families who own corporations. And one of the challenges they face that is always there, always there, always there is trying to make sure that next generations will do it the same way the generations who founded the place would do it. And I think the challenge is how do we, how do we embrace that legacy and also let them lead the way that they will. And it, it, uh, in one company in aerospace that I worked with, this was said, and then Daniel, you go, is, is this. It was, it was a sad story. It said, leading in this company is like putting your hand in a bucket of water. When you pull it out, no one will ever know you were there. And I think that's the other side of a lie. It's, it's the other side of the lie, though, because here's what's interesting. The reality from the research would say that, that people watched us put that, our hand in that bucket of water. So that history of imprints of the way that we showed up is still there. And now, Dr. Halleck, will you take us into how to do this? And, and Daniel, by the way, 
It was so interesting for us to think about doing this together. He's slightly younger than I am. I know you can't tell by looking at us, but he's slightly younger. No, I was kidding. Is, is, but, he, but Daniel brings an incredible capacity uh, to, to think about how we, how we actually bring things. How do, we, how do we actually execute on some of this um, in this space of succession planning? And his experience across uh, corporate, non-for-profit, higher ed institutions is awesome. So, Dr. Halleck. Yeah. Thank you, Rob, for handing the baton. And as we focus on development here, this is another conversation that we're just nodding. We're making the assumption that the leader or successor has been identified. Selection and identification is a very important conversation. We're focusing on development for this conversation. I'm going to give you three practical ways to take what Rob said that hopefully are a little bit different than some of the common thinking that we practice. The first is aligning experiences with competencies. Aligning experience with, experiences with competencies. It's amazing when we do this work, how often the question of what is the future or what's the vision might not be clear. But if it is clear or if it becomes clear, the next question is, so what competencies and skills does the next top leader or top leaders, if it's transitioning to a team, need to get there. And to what Rob said, one of those common mistakes is trying to clone us. But the reality is, while we want to honor our context, the things that we need to go to the future might be and likely are different. And it's more than just, well, we need somebody who's relevant to the next generation of people. No, the business often needs to go in a different direction or continue to grow in a, in a different way. And so what is the future? And then what are the core competencies you need? And then based on those competencies, what are the experiences that will build those competencies in the leaders we have? Instead of looking at a leader and saying, well, they have this or they don't have this, we know from decades of research that the best way to develop leadership muscle, if you think of leadership like a gym, the leadership gym are the experiences that we undertake. And so we, can, we know which experiences build certain competencies. So where's the direction? What are the experiences under the, the competencies that I need there? And what are the experiences that help me build it? Let me give you an example. I was working with a professional services firm in, in transition. And they had a great history. And as they were poised to grow and move to expand new markets, including some internationally for the first time, it was an exciting time. Here's the challenge. Many of the current leaders, those who were tapped as the heir or heirs apparent, did not have a critical watershed experience that we see across the research, which is starting something from scratch. That entrepreneurial endeavor of whether that be as simple as a project, a product, a service line, or, or as large as a new office, a new market, or a new business. They had been, they had grown up in an existing business that had been successful, and they were good at taking things to the, at, at growing things, but there's a, a, a lack of depth when it came to actually launching something from scratch. And so, and none of them had any experience international. 
And so that, that doesn't mean, maybe that means you hire from without, but more likely it means how can we, if succession isn't just a, a moment in time that's happening tomorrow, how can we start strategically building in experiences for people to build and practice those entrepreneurial muscles so that by the time that comes, they've built the base skill set to lead into the future. The cultural alignment, those things might've been there, but some of the competency was, was missing. And just because a successor doesn't have it, doesn't mean they can't develop it. If we know where we want to go and the competencies are needed, a lot of, a lot of development is up for grabs. So the question here I'd ask is, what experiences do your successors need to build the competencies to take over and lead a new direction in a different way than you led in the past? Another principle I want to share, number two, is move from looking at successors to looking with successors. Move from looking at to looking with. And we think of handing off the baton. It's one of the most common analogies you hear in, in, when it comes to succession. We want that nice, smooth handoff. And it comes, I don't watch track and field often as an adult unless it's in the Olympics. But when you dissect it a little bit deeper, you start to see that short, really smooth handoff has a lot of preparation. We talk about handing the baton. We don't talk about throwing the baton. We don't talk about a nice lateral pass of the baton. There is so much preparation in that short burst. The smooth, clean handoff we see on TV has so much preparation behind it. And we think of those elements, there's a couple things. We see the person handing off the baton. They actually start to run alongside each other. It, it looks quick on TV, but do you know how much preparation it takes to make that happen? And there's an acceleration and a deceleration. As the, as the person who receives the baton accelerates, the person who's handing off the baton decelerates. And so what that means is that it's not just developing successors, those who are developing or changing as a synonym for development are also those handing off. So what if that process was done together, looking at with each other instead of looking at each other? Succession planning cannot be delegated. I've seen too many organizations, we partner with people to make that happen, or they might have a strong internal talent leader. You, you need, you need a, a group of advisors with you, but you have to be involved in, in the transition. You cannot delegate. You cannot delegate succession in developing that next generation. So imagine what it would look like if you could do it together, that looking with versus looking at instead of looking at somebody putting all their data up on a screen and saying, well, let's see, this is where Daniel is strong, this is where he's weak, these are experiences he had, this is what he hasn't, I think he'll be VP. He's not gonna be CEO. Versus, okay, these are the, this is the person or these are the people I want to invest in deeply. Let's come alongside and have an honest conversation about where I have succeeded and failed and where you've succeeded and failed and what you need and where the business needs something different. So that if they're going to be filling or expanding your shoes, that's usually the hope. Let's create that honest dialogue in the back end. So when we see that nice clean handoff on TV that goes well and impacts everybody in the positive ways we want, we know that we've done the legwork to get there because we're developing together and we've started identifying what am I going to do next if I'm leaving? And how am I going to step into those shoes? Well, what do I need to honor from the context and where do I have freedom to take things to the next level? Those of you who are regulars here on Fridays are probably seeing a lot of threads from the conversations we've been having in this season. 
And it's because at the heart of, this is the heart of everything we do. At the heart of our development of leaders, this is one of those places where if we can move from an impersonal evaluation to a more joint personal assessment and action planning, we can more, we can more fully equip leaders to step up into their new role and more gracefully and effectively step out of their roles as well. And that leads me to, my, to the third piece, and this is where we're going to launch you off into a conversation. Into a conversation. Investing in a culture of development. There's, there's more than three things we can give you, but just to get the conversation going, investing in a, a culture of development. Too often we view succession as a one-off moment that happens to come because I'm getting close to retirement or because I know I'm going to make an exit or because someone in corporate told me I need to. But the potential is so much greater. And I, I imagine what if the process of developing a successor could be structured in a way that not only the person or team of people who's going to come after gets built up, but the capacity of every single leader around them gets transformed as well. Can you imagine a better gift for an incoming leader than saying, not only am I going to intentionally invest alongside you, but we are going to raise up a strong supporting cast so that when you do take the helm, you're not the only one who's trying to steer the ship and man all the tackle as well. What a gift if we invest in that leader, but use it as an opportunity to invest more systematically into the culture. And it requires a system for development. It's not just a retreat. It's not a one-off personality assessment. In the same way that every business we work with has a playbook for the things that matter to their operations, whether it's their delivery of their product or service, they ha everyone has a way of doing their finances and books. Everyone has a way of going into market and selling or raising funds. But how many of us have a repeatable, scalable system for developing leaders that helps that heir apparent, but also leaves them with an ongoing generative capacity in all the leaders around them so that we can leave knowing that it is in better hands and we can move to that next chapter. So those are, those are three things to think of as we get in this conversation, strategically aligning experiences with competencies, moving from looking at successors to looking with successors in our joint development and investing in a culture of development instead of just a one-off moment. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. If you'd like to learn more about wild leaders, visit us at wildleaders.org. If you want to purchase the wild toolkit, visit wildtoolkit.com. If you'd like to join the interactive live recording with other leaders, sign up at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation. I'm Megan Lawrence. Have a great day.